In Love with the X, the podcast for anyone who has ever been to Exeter University. Stand by for your hosts, Alex Borchardt, and first, Tony Hall. And episode six, Don't Mess with My Tutu. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Welcome once again to Still in Love with the X. Less a trip up Stocker Road, more a meander down memory lane. I am Tony Horn in Lancashire, England. I'm a ghostwriter and podcaster. My good friend Alex Borchardt remains in Exeter, Devon. And when we begin every episode, there are always footnotes from the previous one. So looking back on the welly, the boot and the badger, there are two things which I meant to cover we didn't, so I'm just going to plant the seed, and hopefully we'll come back to them at some point. One really is hall food and hall dinners, and the other is the legend of Greasy Joes. Now, Alex, don't say don't say anything about the legend of Greasy Joes, but triple egg burger. He did a triple egg burger, and students tried to outdo each other, and so I went for the quadruple cheeseburger, and then somebody had to outdo that with a quintuple bacon and egg burger. And I ended up ordering one time a non-uple egg burger, just because I could, and it was the most ridiculous burger. So, so nine burgers with eight fried eggs and some cheese stacked up. It must have been about a foot tall. It's not quite the, the subway foot long, because you can eat that. A vertical foot-high burger is obviously going to end up in a disaster within about 20 feet. Between the, the Greasy Joe van and the Lemon Grove, the non-Nupal egg burger was never going to get anywhere near somebody's mouth. It was going to end up in the bushes, and it did. So before we began this podcast, one of the ideas that Alex and I chucked about was that it would be inevitable that we would mention some things that we would always promise to come back to and never quite make it. A, li- a little bit like the fishing trip on Gavin and Stacey. For episode 300 and whatever in the future, note, return to Greasy Joe's and Hall Food for more Hall dinners. But today, as Ben Elton would say in the 1980s, yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, a little bit of politics. Let's reset the scene. Many themes of politics are forever. Some cut across a specific era, and we are revisiting our particular years, which are 89 onwards. And you can bail out two, three, four years after that if you're in our cycle, depending on your degree and if you finished it. Um, But you made an interesting point to me in private messages that actually, unless you're really unlucky – And remember, I think the coalition of 2012 signed up to a fixed-term government, which we've now since abandoned. America, of course, it's very clear you'll have that term and you'll move on, and you can't do more than two terms. But unless you are very unlucky or very lucky, you will experience a general election at some point in your time at Exeter University. So for us, that was 1992. Many of us will have not voted before we got there. Probably our political genes are either donated to us by our parents or rebelled against because of our parents. It's safe to say, without any hint of angry dissent, Exeter is a right-wing university (laughs) in 1989. And we don't necessarily mean far right-wing. And John Major, portrayed as grey by the satirical puppet show Spitting Image, by all accounts, with no right to do so, won that election. Newspaper headlines the next day, it was the sun what won it. Do you have any recollection of the build-up to that national politics before we come to local politics? The election of 92. Of course. I mean, it was a three-year build-up. People who are of a certain age, 52, 53, like Tony and I are, grew up with Margaret Thatcher, basically, because you and I were born in, in 70, 71, respectively. And so... 
Our childhoods were dominated by the three-day week, the oil crisis, Ted Heath, Jim Callahan, and we can't really remember much of that. What we can remember is two things happened at the end of the 70s, early 80s. First of all, Margaret Thatcher, who'd been leader of the Conservative Party since 1975, groundbreaking because no woman had ever done that before at the time. She became prime minister in 1979. She won the election again in 83 and again, I think, in 87. So she just kept winning. Thatcherism defined the 80s. And the other thing that happened is over the other side of the Atlantic, Ronald Reagan became president, ousting Jimmy Carter. So a massive shift from the left to the right, both in the UK and the USA. And the other thing we were growing up with was an ITV satirical show, which you may have noticed has returned, those who watch a lot of ITV, and that's Spitting Image. In the 1980s, who didn't watch Spitting Image throughout the 80s? But Spitting Image could almost turn an election, and they always covered it very well. So by, by the 90s, when it was becoming more mainstream with the politicians who'd grown up in the 80s, themselves hating spitting image neil kinnock margaret thatcher totally lampooned john major who had this brilliant as you said gray character so i'll never forget the spitting image after the 1992 general election which featured john major but, but alex there was also let's remember broadcast rules in the in the period up to an election you can't do anything that's supposed to influence the voter but i think there's traditionally been a spitting image and a have i got news for you about half an hour before the polls close and i can recall i think a spitting image on election night 92 but it's always very tight and obviously in advance it's very carefully balanced so it has equal airtime for the whoever the puppet is for the conservative that was margaret thatcher at the time john major the, margaret, the, margaret thatcher wasn't a puppet she was a leader <laughs> well yeah the show that was on the same evening i remember 92 because david owen had been talking about the fact that he believed there would be a surge the exit polls showed it, it definitely wasn't going to be a, a Lib Dem government. It, it never was. It never will. David Owen was always trying to be positive, and he talked about the surge. And his puppet, predictably, halfway through the election special, uh, he's in the middle of an interview, and all of a sudden he says, it's the surge, it's the surge. And this is where he expected a massive swing of votes at about a quarter to ten. Voting always closes at ten o'clock in the evening. The Lib Dems predicted there'd be a surge in their direction. Of course, it never happened. But what I'm trying to tell you about is the spitting image scene, John Major, Downing Street, they've clearly trashed the place the morning after. They've written anti-Labour graffiti, you know, piss off Kinnock, that kind of thing. And they're all hung over because nobody expected the Conservatives to win yet again in 92. This was the time of the Back to Basics campaign. Sleaze, the Conservatives were embarrassing themselves Every day there was another scandal. It seemed at the time Labour could do no wrong, and yet they still lost, because you're always going to have comfortable middle-income people that will vote Conservative regardless. A little bit of politics. Without revealing my sources, I, I have done some work with a former Labour MP, and whilst you paint that picture of the 92 election, let's not forget how many times Kinnock had lost and how Kinnock Neil Kinnock been depicted. It, looking back on it, it looks like an election where <laughs> there wasn't a lot to vote for. There was a lot to vote against, and Kinnock possibly perceived there as damaged goods. At the same time, we had publications like Private Eye describing Neil Kinnock as the Welsh windbag. We had Viz magazine, which at the time of us being at university used to sell a million copies, an issue, came out every two months. They put a photo of, of Neil Kinnock in around that time, and they said, tragic Kinnock, ginger and Welsh. And he didn't stand a chance with that kind of ridicule. So that's a national picture. But what about local politics what about micro local politics in terms of what was happening on the campus i think first thing you would say is apathy alex did mention there a character david owen who ran off with his mate david Steele. they were they were just the david and david club we should not overlook the fact that some of these characters came to campus and as alex and i will explain in a moment and it's probably connected also to the apathy we're not entirely sure who did come and who didn't but 
you recall, Alex, a, a moment where Sir David Owen did actually rock up on campus, and no sooner had he rocked up than he rocked out. He did. Now, one of the great societies, and we, we could do a whole episode on societies, we should do that soon, was, was politics. I never joined that, but I remember there was debating club at least once a month, possibly every week. There was a major debate in the Avery building, and they had some quite hard-hitting speakers that came along to speak for and against a particular motion. And I've no idea what Sir David Owen came along for. What I do remember, though, was that he was inevitably nabbed by an aspiring journalist, possibly future politician, from the student radio station called University Radio Exeter. But James Brokenshire, he interviewed David Owen because he had that confidence. He, he was a law student. He had the confidence to just go and speak to whoever David Owen's people were, or probably david himself and say could we do an interview in the university radio extra studio under the steps up to devonshire house and to give him credit david owen did turn up to this interview and it was going very well james brokenshire <laughs> very intelligent person you know what if he was still around he he'd probably be heading towards being prime minister because there'd be right. nobody else for the job can you imagine i actually agree with that he asked a question that's so typical of student radio for a, a, a 20, 21-year-old to ask, and that is this. I remember it very clearly. Tell me, David, is the Liberal Democrat stroke Social Democratic Party anything more these days than just a David Owen fan club? And as you can imagine, that question was not well received by somebody who was desperately trying to cling on to whatever the middle ground was at the time. And he stormed out the studio saying, that is the most politically naive question I've ever heard in my life. Little did he know, James Brokenshire probably ended up being more powerful in politics, Northern Ireland Secretary, for instance, than David Owen ever was. Well, what's interesting about that of course is that when you are at university level and people who have achieved a certain status appear on campus it takes a certain amount of courage or inner steel or focus or confidence to actually challenge them and it's not arrogance i don't think it's a confidence i didn't have at that point but james certainly did and the context of that is James is doing a law degree. He's a young conservative in Loughton in Essex. And, of course, he does go on to serve under Theresa May and become Northern Ireland Secretary. But great that, never mind the names involved, great that a serving politician at the head of their party can be so rattled by a student. David Owen... You know, exit stage left, because our next guest, virtually, enter stage right. Alex and I, and this is what I alluded to a moment ago, had to sort of do a double take on this. When we were notionally tossing WhatsApp messages about today's episode, I think I originally thought I was going to type, what about Mandela? But then I remembered, don't mess with my tutu. For those of you that are you know, clutching at straws here. Archbishop Desmond Tutu came to Exeter, but we struggled to remember it. I had to Google it. Now, as I try and Google it again as we're speaking, I can't quite find the piece. Here we go. Oh, yes. Desmond Tutu, distinguished visiting professor on delivery of a lecture at the Great Hall. I don't know why... Um, he came. I don't know who invited him. I don't know what the connection was, what the process was. But if you look back at South Africa, and I was actually on the air at the moment Nelson Mandela was released from prison. When I say I was on the air, broadcasting to a colossal audience of a dozen or so on a Sunday lunchtime with Nick Thatcher, our dear friend who we've mentioned several times, on the university radio station, and Mandela comes out. But obviously apartheid, we've got to summarise this in 10 seconds, South Africa, apartheid, key characters, Mandela, Tutu. To Claire, if you're going to name five famous South Africans, Desmond Tutu would be one of them, one of the greats. He was amazing, sadly departed just a year or two ago, but he was such a force of nature. Why did he come to Exeter? Why does anybody come to Exeter? I mean, Exeter's not on the way to anybody. <laughs> but you know, unless, unless you go to Cornwall or the arts of silly. But we've had some real hard hitters. I mean, 
People of our age might remember a character called Douglas Hurd. His son was at university, sent some of us Burke's halls, never knowingly met him. So we, we don't even know when Tutu turned up, right? So I don't reckon it was in the academic year 91 to 92 because I wasn't there, but I do have a memory of it. If you look at it on Google and you can see the tags, it just says 1990s. How lazy is that? On the Dougie Hurd thing, Dougie Douglas Hurd was foreign secretary and another person that was very much in that spitting image era. But something we've never mentioned Alex, and it comes in beautifully here, the way, and I don't know how university students describe it today, but when we were undergraduates, you might have got an up your bum, <laughs> you might have got a Desmond Tutu, oh, yes. you, might have got a, you might have got a Dougie Hurd, and that's Exeter rhyming slang. Douglas Hurd, who was an also ran with the likes of Boutros, Boutros Gali, who repeatedly heard in the news in 1991-92. Douglas Hurd did something very important. He was a cabinet minister. I can't remember what he did, why he was important, but he was one of those names you persistently heard on the news. The sons and daughters of very important people would often come to Exeter. I mean, one of my friends, Vanessa van den Berg, in Hope Hall, you did, I think, French and something um, with her sister, Natasha. Well, she used to say to me, oh, my father works for Shell. Well, he was only the, the president, the, the number one person in Shell. He ran Shell at the time. And I remember him in driving down the, the road that goes between Lopez and, and, and Hope uh, one time in his S-Class Mercedes. And you saw a lot of Mercedes at Hope and a lot of people from, from, from very grand families have ended up there over the years, still do. Let's look at what we found the politics to be when we arrive in 89. And again, if you're outside our cycle, I'm pretty confident that whilst our years are specific, the stories are universal, except, of course, the overriding political issues of the day. So one of the themes that cut through our cycle was the poll tax very unpopular another great maggie moment i think it's really interesting if you look at the general meetings which i think were held at one fifteen on a wednesday or a thursday in the lemon grove yep and i bet you i bet you i bet your bottom dollar that most people's experience of campus politics was to walk past this murmur in the lemon grove on the way to la Frauda, on the way to the u on the way up the path to lectures i do recall some of the characters i do recall a general meeting where whoever it was the leader of the student union and i can only remember one leader of the of the guild student union look at exeter calling it student union something different just to be out there uh, and that's a guy called chris bignall who i hope we'll have on at some point but i do recall the general meeting where they said we've laid on coaches maybe just a coach to go to london to the poll tax demos brackets riots i it feels like this was 92 it might have been 1990 i don't know it was generally greeted with, with apathy, even though it was arguably one of the most important political moments of the day. Now, if you think about that 92 election that we mentioned, a key point of that would be the Gulf War in, in 91, and also the replacement of Margaret Thatcher by John Major, who, who basically issued back me or sack me demands. And John Major's trump card, in, in effect, was that he would get rid of the poll tax. And what that means, of course, in Tory language is we'll just rename it and, and you get your community tax. But do you have recollections of, of the poll tax conversation, Alex? And, and uh, even more specifically, the, the buses are laid on till we hope you will join us mentality. Ah, piss off. I'll be in the double locks by the time they arrive at Marble Arch. I remember that very well. I, I mean, again, we, we mentioned Margaret Thatcher, and I don't think we're ever going to see it again, to have a prime minister who was in number 10 at the end of the 70s, all of the 80s and the early 90s. That's unprecedented. That is extraordinary. But I think the poll tax was, was one of the things that brought about her downfall because it was universally loathed. So people who were apathetic, they said, oh, I'm not having that. But people who are a bit more, 
trying to do something about the situation, they rioted. They went out and they spoke out and took to the streets and they hated it. And I remember my first year in, in Hope Hall, I was I was asked to register for, to vote. And one of the rites of passage of becoming a student at the age of 18 or 19, of course, is the first time you get to vote. So as you said, there's the general election in 92. And the one before that, I think, was we, we just missed it. In, I think it was 87. So we were in the sixth form when that happened. Wouldn't have had the chance to vote on that. But I remember being asked to register to vote in my first year and invited to take part in the local elections. Who does that these days? But as a student at the time, I thought, yeah, I'm going to vote for them. And I thought my grandfather's always voted for the, the SDP and he'd, uh, he died a couple of years before that. But I thought, yeah, he, he's on to something. So I voted for, for what then became the, the Liberal Democrats under David Steele and then whoever took it on in the 90s, Paddy Ashdown, I think. But uh, I remember voting for that. But at the same time, we were asked to vote yes or no to the poll tax. And that was a very easy vote to cast. Of course, it was a no. Buses to London, that was for other people. I don't think I was that passionate <laughs> about it. I was prepared to, to get on a bus and, and march on Parliament Square and across Westminster Bridge. Still in love with the ex. So I can recall the makeup of those general meetings, and I do recall a few names, and it would be unfair to cast any aspersions. I remember there was a chap called, I think it was Tony Carmel, who was very vocal, very politically, I won't say aggressive, but yeah, really strong in his opinions. And I think, uh, I, I think one thing you can say is that people that are left-wing at Exeter that are strong in their opinions appear to, to be louder because against that is the the right-wing apathy. There's also, i never forget this guy, and it's so extraordinary in life how the circles do complete themselves. There was a little, a really little ginger guy called Andy from Burnley who would always speak up. And this is before Burnley got a reputation for National Front and Nick Griffin and stuff like that. I I have to put my cards on the table here. I looked down on the guy because he was Labour, because he was small, possibly because he was ginger, even though I was, and because he was from Burnley. Now, I've got to tell you, one of the most important things in my life for my mental health in the last few years has been going to watch Burnley Football Club. And I live about 20 minutes from Burnley in the hills in Lancashire. I don't think any football fan has done more transfers of clubs than I have. I'm not fickle. I'm extremely loyal. I'm also very pragmatic. And, the, you know, for example, you can get a ticket to a Burnley game, whereas you might be waiting 15 years to see Liverpool. But there's a sense of community there, which I did not understand at the time. And if we're in a woke culture now where sins of the 70s and 80s are brought in line by laws of today, uh, I have the self-awareness to admit that whilst not extreme right wing and not entitled or privileged like so many of my peers at Exeter University, I would look at this guy, Andy from Burnley, and go, who are you? Who are you? And I can't apologize to him, but I live amongst ordinary people now who have roots in their community, and it helps me understand the bad side of Exeter, which I think so many people that went through it will, will probably die never having really come to the party of. That, of course, is also apart from the fact that it's a fantastic place and you meet some incredible people and i think alex the conclusion from all of that is that the people that were the most vocal at university general meetings were those who were probably looking for a guild position or were labor and dare i say it from the north yes to all that now exeter's the the ex university conservative association that had the best parties there were the uca ball was the number one ticket every year but the great thing about politics is you can start off being a nobody i mean even john major i was born in lambeth hospital in 1970 and i and i lived with my parents in bedford road 
in Brixton. Who was the local aspiring political candidate at the time? It was John Major. And my mother told me once, he knocked on our door in about 1970, the year I was born, and he he tried to persuade my mother that it would be a good idea to vote for him. And she just said to him, no, <laughs> you know, I don't know who you are, I don't know what you stand for, go away. Now, he ended up becoming prime minister, and whether you're from Burnley or Clapham or Aberystwyth or Arbroath or Dundee, you can make it in politics. And one of the things about Exeter is if you wanted to get somewhere, you could. Now, you mentioned the only Guild president you remember was Chris Pignall. I remember him too. He was a force of nature, larger than life in, in more ways than one. But in our first year, do you remember we all gathered together in the Great Hall in Freshers' Week for a talk given by the Guild president? And he said, this is the only time in your entire university career where you're all going to be in the Great Hall together. There were concerts, there were freshers fairs, there were all kinds of things in the Great Hall, but the only time the whole academic year sat in the same room was the Great Hall in October 89, and the Guild president was called Robert Halfen. Like any other Guild president or, or many other positions on the Guild of Students, which in any other university would be called the Student Union, Robert Halfen clearly wanted to go into politics, and lo and behold, he was a young conservative. He's now an MP for somewhere in the whole home counties. And I've looked up some of his interviews. He talks fondly about his time at Exeter, but he never mentions being Guild president. And I think there's a reason for that. And that is that he tried to do something to make a difference, like any aspiring politician would do. And that is he tried to go to the House of Commons to argue that the National Union of Students are rubbish and should be shut down. Any other university was a student union. As I said, we were the Guild of Students. Now, we were members of the NUS, but we were affiliates. It was different at Exeter. He was laughed out of the House of Commons by whoever heard his case, and it was never heard about again. There was another aspiring Guild candidates that thought we should abolish all, all charities. Now, RAG, Raising and Giving, was a huge thing back then in the 80s. It still is. It is at all universities, and they do a lot of work for charity. It's brilliant. His argument was that anybody who needs help should be helped by the government. So he was clearly a bit of a left-winger. <laughs> or was he? I don't know. But, you know, a lot of outspoken people, but like you, like most people, whenever there was that meeting in Cornwall House at one fifteen, I just walked straight past it. It was of little interest to me. I read what they had to say in expose when they were when they were hoping to be elected. I did vote in the Guild elections each year, but I never went to Hustings, as far as I can remember, because it just wasn't my thing. I was more interested in other things like Fizz sock, the physics society, or German or germ soccer, who they were called, unfortunately, for the German society. There were so many distractions at Exeter. Well, That's why some of us never spend any time in lecture theatres, because there were too many things going on. Alex makes a very interesting point, which I hadn't considered there, which is the role of the NUS. Now, I don't know, I, I honestly don't know what an individual's relationship at Exeter was to that, if you were somehow part of it or not, but I can hand on heart say that the NUS have served no purpose in my years as a student. And I think, I believe quite firmly now, I've never weighed this up for 30-odd years, but those people that you occasionally see on the media as NUS president or whatever, it's a self-serving role. And there is something in that in student politics that to commit yourself to student politics in some ways denies the university experience of, of getting to know yourself, getting to know people, meeting the opposite sex, going to rock and roll, drinking all night, walking away with a qualification. Those people that were, I believe, politically driven at the age of 18, I think it's just my, my gut feeling that's too much too soon. If you look at how much 
cited friend James Brokenshaw. Now, James was politically driven, but he never really expressed that in politics. I knew back home he was in the Young Conservatives in Loughton in Essex, but I don't really recall other than him wishing to perhaps do hard-hitting interviews, I don't really recall him being over-political at university. And obviously, you know, there's, there's a slight difference between wanting a guild position because you want to build a political career and because you want to build a CV and or a year's sabbatical, so not all guild positions were, were paid. But I think we're talking about a 1% a made-up stat, of course, of people at Exeter University that were very, very political. But Alex is very good on this. One of the things about doing this podcast is, and Andy Sinclair was the first to say this, you tap into stuff that's dormant. And Alex said to me in WhatsApp messages, euchre, the euchre ball. And I swear I have not heard that word and that phrase for over three decades. I never went to a euchre ball there's some sort of, I think, image posturing that is associated with that. And you can understand, I think, a lot of the apathy. And there's no, the Germans would have a really good compound noun for this, but the sort of be seen to be self-imaging posturing that is the young conservatives at Exeter, but most importantly, Alex, that allegiance to the Euchre ball. Yeah, I can think of a German word for that. I think it would be something like Selfbewusstlichkeit, self-awarenessness. They're very good <laughs> at that kind of thing, the Germans. That's yeah, Zilf, There you go. There's a, you think of the great thing about German is you can string together four different nouns or, or, or adverbs or whatever. Make Well, there you go. Selfbewusstlichkeit. That, that is what you've just described. Yeah, the Yucca Ball was something that was always talked about. Every society that was worth its salt had a ball at the end of the year, but there was nothing like the Exeter University Conservative Association. Now, in the first year, I said, there's no way I'm going to seek my principles that far and go to something as fascist as, as the Conservative <laughs> Association Ball. But, you know, on the second year, people were repeatedly saying, but it's the best party there is. And I went to it and it was brilliant. And I went again in the third year and it's superb. And I tell you what, anybody who hasn't met somebody of the opposite sex by the time they're in their third year, well, you are guaranteed at the Euchre Ball in the third year, you will meet somebody absolutely beautiful and very uh, enthusiastically available of the opposite sex or indeed the same sex why not didn't really talk about it in those days but i'm sure plenty of people who were of, of, of other persuasions did get together we had a lesbian gay bisexual society never heard much about them did but you? if you were, were going to get to know anybody of the opposite sex then you know after graduation at the end of the year certainly the end of the third year you know, you are, you are up for a good time regardless at the Conservative Association Ball, and I think that's why most people went. You know, Alex, that's so funny, because when you were telling that story, I had some thoughts, and I've not been to a Yucca Ball, but there was a guy at the end of my corridor, so I think I lived in Murray G306 in Duryard. I'm not sure. Now it's coming back to me really slowly. I think his name was Stuart. I know he was friends with um, one of my best friends who I've sadly, really sadly lost touch with, although we're in touch. And that's Christian Vaughan, who I was at school with and university with. Stuart told me this story in a real kind of like, you know, pint in one hand, fag in the other kind of way about how he'd shagged this woman at this Yucca ball at the ball. I was astounded because he wasn't the only one. I didn't really have much awareness of sex and I didn't really have much awareness of the value of relationships to sex. And it's nothing to do with going to a single sex school. It's just about the channel that you were brought up on and about the value. Even though my parents had a failed relationship, it's about the way that you perceived relationships and don't forget, of course, that in the years 80, somewhere around 85, 86, 87, there was a lot of publicity about 
AIDS. So for our generation that are going to university on a self-discovery course amongst all the other options available, there is that in, in the background. And, you know, I have this, I have this memory of the mocking of the AIDS campaign, which was don't die of ignorance, brackets die of AIDS. But there was something quite terrifying about sex. And here's this guy, I'm sure his name was Stuart, who was like, basically, he felt to me like he was a promoter of the, hey, I'm Jack the Lad, come and get laid at the Euchre Ball. Whatever the myths and legends are of the Euchre Ball, it taps into our universal theme of these podcasts, which is myths and legends. Myths and legends. And they are everything that university life is built on from the reasons that you go there in the first place to the stories that you tell afterwards and the yucca ball is legendary and folks i ain't ever been there well you know one of the the things that's said about life at university is that during your three or four years there you better lose your virginity because if you don't at university you never will and I think um, for a lot of people, sex was something that happened to other people until <laughs> after the exams. <laughs> after the exams, at the end of the first, second, third year, after the exams, you know, you you would have to be incredibly lacking in confidence or incredibly riddled with acne not to, uh, to to get to know somebody the opposite sex. You know, people want to have a good time when they're at the university, certainly after the exams, and there is nothing like the hall balls, the society balls, but the ex-university conservative association had it all. It didn't matter about the politics. It was a massive party at Powderham Castle. There was no wow. grandstanding. There was nobody there to make a speech about why you should vote for John Major. It was just a massive celebration in the way that only the Conservatives know how to do. The Labour Party, I'm sure the Labour Association had a pub crawl at some point. I never heard of it, did you? I think the four people that went are unavailable for... for the... <laughs> no, I mean, you know, myths and legends, Alex. I mean, there may well have been a fantastic Lib Dem ball somewhere in the middle of the road, or there may have yeah. well been a Labour ball somewhere to the left of Stocker Road. But... But we don't know about it, do we? And that's... We, we've all spent time sitting in Devonshire House in the coffee bar or in the what was called the Maya Angelou room. It should be called the Douglas Hurd or the, the, I suppose, the Desmond Tutu room now. But there was always somebody called Rupert just going on and on and on about how great the Conservative Party is. And he never really made any sense to me. But I couldn't help noticing his passion, his devotion to the Conservative Party. And I'm sure he's now a special advisor working somewhere in the Houses of Parliament. A lot of great careers started at Exeter University in the Coast Conservative Association. Yeah. The lefty, they were all up north, weren't they? They were at Hull, they were at Liverpool, Manchester. Manchester, which let's not forget, back in 89-90 was the world centre for the music industry. In the 60s, 70s, it was London. But in the 80s, 90s, it was all about Manchester. Do you remember those T-shirts people used to wear in spiral, in spiral carpets, stone roses, Happy Mondays? It was all about Manchester. The Smiths, The Beloved, all these great bands, Joy Division. Stone Roses, you didn't even mention them. but And, and of course, we, again, 20 seconds on this, the great Ivan Todd on University Radio Exeter was the only dissenting but actually smart enough voice that knew in the middle of the road, the bland middle of the road, right wing Exeter University, that there was a music thing happening in Manchester. University Radio should be the pinnacle of pioneer, but it was really the retrograde of Brighton. I think one thing there that is underlined is that whether it be your music, cultural choices, uh, or your political persuasion much of it is predetermined and all of it is pretty limited thinking and the people that stood out against it you probably had a had an attitude towards because as i described with andy from burnley northern you were privileged and prejudiced from the south and i think that you know at the moment as we struggle to reach 50 
listeners for this podcast. I don't mind pissing off everybody that went to Exeter University by asking them to take a look in the mirror and say, is what I've said true about your personal DNA strategy, etc., that you brought with yourself to Exeter University? And only life experience makes you look back. And that mirror reflection looks back on you. And I could never have imagined when short ginger Andy from Burnley was making his case in an argument that he believed was politically sound, but the argument we can no longer remember, I dismissed him because of his roots. And that's shameful. And you know what? If anybody from Exeter University is laughing at that, listening to this now, well, shame on you. Andy from Burnley will have my audience more than Toff from Jesse Montgomery, whose dad works in a bank. Well, you know what? One of the, the key things about being a human being, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. If you repent, if you say sorry for something, then you are forgiven. And you look back at that with regret. You knew that it wasn't the attitude to have. But we were very different people when we were 19. And what I love about any university or college is you can be whoever you want to be. Now, those of our... Those of us who've had gap years, we've had some time out to, to get away from the, the mold that we grew up in with you, you know, what was it, a, a grammar school, school living in Surbiton, listening to Capital Radio. You, you were molded to be a particular individual. I grew up son of a GP and a retired nurse in a lovely house in the Vale of Evesham. I think we changed as students. I, I think by the time you graduated, you were a different person in some ways to the fresh-faced fresher you were when you arrived in October 89. I had grown up in a very restricted public school environments and although i look back very fondly on my public school years because it was one of those schools that was it was a cathedral school it was worcester the king's school founded by henry the eighth no other in 1541 but the thing i liked about my school is we weren't molded to be toffs we weren't people that that did our a-levels at the age of 18 and felt we were better than anybody else it, it created well-rounded individuals and i'd like to think that i approached exeter with an open mind i didn't know who i wanted to vote for so i voted lib dem that's what you do social democrat whatever they were at the time but there were people who had grown up clearly conservative and will remain conservative for the rest of their lives and then you had the people who were very left-wing and they were going to go down that direction i'm sure ivan todd fell into that camp but you know what? I, I'm the grandson of, of on the one hand, a uh, a former member of the Welsh Com the Welsh Communist Party. My great grandfather was a founder member of the Welsh Communist Party in Bedwellty, Tredegar, the place where Neil Kinnock was born. On the other side, I'm the great grandson of Felix Arthur Borchardt, who rebuilt the railway from. War sort of, yeah, he didn't personally rebuild. He ran the company that rebuilt the railway. So, you know, I was from a very well-to-do family on one side, German-Dutch ancestry. On the other side, it's, it's Welsh communists. And so I could have ended up anything. And who was I? I was somebody who was voting for the people in the middle of the road. My ideology was very left-wing, but I went to the university conservative association ball and that's what i love about exeter you can be what you want to be and you can develop into whatever you want to be and it was nice to see people by 92 were very different people to those that arrived in 89 and didn't know what they were doing so they went to sin sock the cinema society and they joined community action or they went on the uh the pub crawls which seem to be a central facet of, of, of any of the societies it's the pub crawl because they're cheap to organize the three-legged pub crawl to raise money for rag so i don't agree with all of that um because i think it's clear that by the time you graduate and you know i think a degree unless you are acquiring knowledge in the field of say law or medicine i think a degree is totally worthless except for the fact that there is some life experience in there managing your finances, cooking, interacting with people that are people you've met. But I 
I know from personal experience that the person that I was at 18 is completely different to the person I was at 21, 22. But also, it's not until you're in your 40s that you really, really understand it. But I'd like to end today on those general meetings. So I hope the answer to this is yes or no. But Alex, can you recall anything from a Guild general meeting on a Wednesday or Thursday at 1.15, whatever it was, why do things start at 1.15, that you would say was significant, influenced your generation or the next, or was groundbreaking in its time? Because I can only look back at, well, in answering that question, uh, things that I can mock, and I will shortly mock them. But can you? No. Sorry, so it's a yes or no question. There isn't a single thing that happened in guild politics that I consider to have been of any importance whatsoever when you look back at it 30, 35 years later. Having said that, people tried to make a difference and they should be commended for that. Robert Halfen, now a very successful Conservative MP, tried to break away from the National Union of Students. And he had good reasons for doing that. The fact he was ridiculed in Parliament is neither here nor there. That's what Parliament's there. It's for you to have your say, just like Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. He tried. He didn't get anywhere. But you know what? That was perhaps the training he needed that then opened up a pathway for him to become a member of Parliament. So in this country, anybody can be Prime Minister. You can be what you want to be, or you can just go with the flow and have a good time. X University, there is something for everyone. And that's why I'm still in love with the X. I think there's nothing wrong for those that were committed, engaged, and wanted to have a vision for the future of the university. There's nothing wrong with those people that were involved in politics on a very committed level that we might now look upon and go, it was self-serving. They were trying to build a CV. They were trying to find a way into politics. And I can see three or four people in my head in our era that would fall in that category. But final two points. When you arrive at Exeter University, you inherit the politics of before, whatever they may be, ineffectual, passively received. But on a comical note, I believe there was a general meeting, possibly an extraordinary general meeting, in which it was passed that all the buildings on campus that you know, Devonshire House DH, Cornwall House CH, would be renamed after neighbours. So I think Devonshire House became the Lasters complex. That does ring a bell. And others too, which I can no longer remember. Neighbours, of course, a distant, iconic memory for those of us that were about to go to Exeter University, as it peaked around 88, 89, Scott and Charlene, Jason Donovan, Kylie Minogue, the wedding, Angry Anderson, suddenly the theme song. We still remember those. We remember Mrs. Mangle, but yeah. there were the author rounds like Todd and Cody. Remember them? You could have had the Todd yeah. and Cody room instead of the Maya Angelou room. But, but also, Alex, you know, outside of our time, you know, many iconic names, Guy Pearce, Hollywood, and Delta Goodroom, for example, Natalie and Brulia. Um, you know, just a great, great feeding place for, for many starting careers in Australia, but also beautiful 20 minutes of fluffiness. And Exeter, this is more a summary of Exeter's politics than getting a bus to London and no one got on for the poll tax, that a general meeting voted to describe, to rename buildings according to neighbours and... I don't recall when we were there that Devonshire House was referred to as the Lasters Complex, but I'd read it in the bump. And the other side of that was that Chris Bignall, who was president in our time, who we are still in touch with and has notionally agreed to appear. I don't really remember the circumstances of this in that there was no building up to this. It suddenly was like out there on the Friday. We must vote on it on the Wednesday. But there was some sort of general meeting about an EGM, actually, an emergency, about, I don't even know what, but Bignall had approved or agreed some restructuring of campus. And I, I really, I, I'd love Chris to come on 
and explain what it's about because I don't remember. But what I remember was at the time it was billed as very important. And we touched on this notion that when you are at Exeter University, you are passing through. And there's always been rebuilding, and Duryard being a great example of that. You're there for your three beautiful years, hopefully. But there is a responsibility. All the stuff we've talked about, whether it be the radio station or something else, that legacy to pass the baton on. But whilst you're in the moment, you are quite self-centered and focused on the you, getting a girlfriend, getting drunk, getting a degree, making contacts, et cetera, et cetera. But there are some people, and I'd be one of the first to criticize the Guild. The Guild were obnoxious to the university radio station. There are some people that can see for the next generation, and it's very difficult when you're in that three-year moment. So I don't really know what this emergency general meeting was about. I reckon it was 92, 93 maybe. I don't know. I don't know if it is now, if the consequence of that is all that expansion that's happened. I know there were detailed plans. It was a massive, massive drama. Of course, you're asking the wrong people to vote on it. You're asking the apathetic, transient, current population of Exeter Universe, whereas really you should probably be asking the lecturers and the alumni, you know, what, what do you think, having been at Exeter University, what do you think would be the best development for the French department or law department or something like that? But that's just student politics, I suppose, that you put it to the masses of today. But that's actually, that's an error, isn't it? Because those people will make a decision that will have an effect after you have gone. You see, anybody in politics or in any movement is going to want their moment in the limelight. And every Guild president will be proud of something that they made happen and they persuaded people to vote in. And there'll be other things that they preferred not to remember. For me, there's probably only one EGM emergency or extraordinary general meeting that took place in the 80s. And that is the committee who decided to give the Lemon Grove its name. And I think we should investigate that at some point. How did the Lemon Grove get its name? Somebody explained it to me once. It's very complicated. But some vote was taken in about 1985, 1986, where after much debate that went on for weeks, they decided to call it the Lemon Grove. And it's lovely to see it still is. Devonshire House will always be Devonshire House. The Great Hall is now immortalised because in the Harry Potter books, Joe Rowling has the Great Hall as central to Hogwarts. And that is inspired by her three years studying English at X University, early mid-80s, where she attended many great events at the Great Hall. So, next time on the podcast, our alumni. Some famous names are plenty and some stories to share. In times of joy and times of sorrow, we will always see it through. Oh, I don't care what comes tomorrow. We can face it together the way old friends do. For more on this podcast, head over to secretsofaghostwriter.com. Still in Love with the X is a horny media and publishing production.